0: Southbridge. Every week I stand up here and I give a special welcome to our guests. But today I just wanted to say if you're a regular attender of Southbridge, if you're a member, I'm really grateful for you. And thank you so much for coming, being a part of this church, and uh, committing to trying to connect people to Jesus for life change, making that your vision and desire. And so many of you do that in different ways. I know some of you do it by giving your lives to one another through community groups. Some of you just serve, first service, even uh, taking care of our kids and behind the scenes folks, proofreading bulletins and all that stuff. Um, I just wanted you to know. Thank you. I am very glad that you are here as well. And our guests, I do welcome you. And I would just ask that you'd look at one of those bulletins, those worship programs. And there's what we call a connection card in there. And if you wouldn't mind filling that out, that'd be great. If you look at it, it asks for several different pieces of information. Just tell us whatever you're comfortable telling us. The one thing that would be really helpful to us is if you told us how you heard about us as a church. We'd appreciate that. You can even do it right now as you sit in your seat. And then after the service, if you would take that outside the front doors to what we call our first-time guest kiosk. If you just turn left outside the front doors and turn that in, we've got a gift that we'd love to give you. We're going to make a donation to another ministry that rescues people out of human trafficking, tries to share Jesus Christ and the love of Christ with them, and uh, hopefully they will experience the life change that so many of us here at this church have experienced as well. And So if you'd fill that card out, uh, we would love it if you would just uh, bless someone else in that way, and we'll make a donation to that ministry because you turned that card in. And then today what we're doing is part three of our series called Supernatural. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit and Galatians chapter 5. And if you remember earlier in the year, maybe, uh, we went through the whole book of Galatians. And what we're doing through this summer is we're really focusing in on verses 22 and 23 of Galatians chapter 5. And today we're going to talk about the next part, part three, in that series, Supernatural. Before we do that, we're just going to go before the Lord and ask Him to bless our time, open our hearts to what He has to say to us this morning. So let's pray. Father, we just... Come into your presence and ask you to speak to us supernaturally, past all of our stuff. And uh, maybe there's things we want you to say to us this morning. God, will you please let your agenda be known? Will you please speak through my lips, even if it's different than uh, the last service? God, I just pray that you would speak through my lips into the lives that are here and somehow dynamically, supernaturally between them, leaving my lips and entering people's ears and hearts, that you'd speak what you want said. That From the pages of your scripture, uh, you would pierce our hearts. We know that your word is living and active and it pierces our souls. And God, we know this is sacred, what we're going to do, so I pray that you would just set this time aside for you, and that you'd allow us to hear from you and speak to us and meet with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, have you ever noticed that when someone tells you something's impossible, all of a sudden it's more interesting to you? Like, as soon as somebody tells you that you can't do something, then you want to know if it's possible that you can do that very thing. Like, this week, I was sitting at my computer in my office, I was reading an article off, of the, off the internet, and you know everything's credible on the internet, and so I was reading something there, and it said that it's impossible for a human being to touch their elbow with their tongue. <laughs> now, I'll just give you a little background to this. Never before, throughout my life, in any moment that I can ever remember, if I ever had even a slight desire to try and lick my elbow. I've never thought to myself, I wonder what my elbow tastes like. Or, you know, I've never, you know, thought to myself, it itches. I think I'm going to scratch it with my tongue. Like, none of that kind of stuff. Guess what I'm doing in my office as soon as I read that? (laughs) You know, I'm trying to get my elbow with my tongue, which I was not able to do. I also read that it's impossible to tickle yourself. Have you ever tried that? Some of you right now would be trying to lick your elbow if there weren't hundreds of other people sitting around you uh, at this moment. Uh, Have you ever tried to tickle yourself? You can't. I don't know if it's the element of surprise or what it is, but it just doesn't work. Have you ever sneezed with your eyes open? You can't do it. It's impossible. Now think about this for a moment. Before you walked in these doors today, you probably didn't think anything about your sneezes. Now all of a sudden, you're more interested. Now maybe when you leave today, you'll be, I don't know, does that, oh, yeah, he's right. It's kind of, yeah. can't tickle myself. Can't lick my elbow. Can't do those things. It's, we're interested in things. Once we're told those things are impossible. Because we want to know if the impossible is possible. That's why so many people tuned in. About a month ago, there was a guy on television, some of you may have seen it, on ABC. There was a guy who walked across Niagara Falls, His name was Nick Walenda, a 33-year-old guy, father of three, happily married, had a dream from the time he was six years old that he would walk on a tightrope, on a high wire, across Niagara Falls, the most powerful falls in North America. And crossed from the U.S. to Canada, and he would be the first person to ever do this. Now, back in the 1800s, there were some people that crossed over the river, but no one had ever crossed directly over the falls before. And if you saw it, it was an amazing picture on TV. You know, the falls drop about 200 feet. They're real powerful. There's a mist going up all over it. And ABC, they wired him. And they put they were, so that you had a microphone on so you could hear everything he said and he was being able to hear stuff from his, his dad was kind of coaching him through this thing and he went out there on the wire and he started to walk across he was carrying this 40 uh, pound balancing bar and he said he got a cramp in, in his arm part way through and his hands got numb and he's telling the ABC announcers this stuff and I, my understanding is he's a follower of Christ too as he was going across he was, he was just I praise you father and praise you Jesus and it, the whole time and you can barely see and the mist is coming up and you're watching this there were, there were tens of thousands of people on the U.S. side that came live to see this. There were 120,000 people they estimated on the Canadian side that came live to see this. People actually traveled to see this. Why? Was it because they were all desiring to be tightrope walkers one day? Was it their natural interest? I'm sure that's probably your hobby. You've got set up in the backyard that you do that. Millions of people watch this on TV. As this guy walks across this tightrope that hangs over Niagara Falls, it's about a a six-football field length of, of a walk, 1,800 feet. And this guy goes across, and you're seeing the water dripping off the rope, and he can barely see stuff, and he's praying and talking to his dad. And when he was done, he made it across, for those of you wonder. When he's done, they're doing an interview with him, and he said about the, part, the halfway point, he thought about his grandfather, who died on a high wire. And why is it that we're watching this? Why are we interested in this? I thought it was kind of endearing that he had his mom made shoes for him, he had homemade shoes on, that was kind of nice, he wanted to do it since he was a six-year-old boy. There are little elements to the story, but you know the reason why we watch this? is because we want to see someone show us that the impossible is possible. We want to see someone do something that no one else has done before, so then we know, maybe we'll never do it, but then we know that someone has experienced it. And today we're going to talk about something that will seem impossible, especially in light of our culture and the life that we live and, and the world that we're in, where you turn on the news and you're told about tragedy after tragedy. You're told about natural disasters. You're told about economic downfalls. You're told about some person doing some terrible thing to another person. And today i want to talk to you about joy, supernatural joy. In a world where people are more depressed than ever, in a world where people struggle with anxiety, in a world where people have situations like anorexia, bulimia, in a world where kids die, where babies die. It just, that's part of what happens in our world. People starve to death. People don't have clean drinking water. In a world where there's rape. In a world, well, while I'm talking to you, someone will be murdered. I'm going to then talk to you about supernatural joy. And then you can go home and you can watch TV and see celebrities that have million-dollar houses around the world and still say something's missing in their life. And, and you can watch business tycoons or sports athletes that have reached the pinnacle of their career do an interview and then talk about, but there's got to be something more. And you think the answer is, well, you just become a Christian, and that's all that satisfied. Well, talk to some Christians and see how much joy they have in their life. And it doesn't seem that anyone's actually experiencing this. But I'm going to tell you that supernatural joy is possible, and it doesn't matter how much talent you have, and it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter where you're at in your career, it doesn't even matter if you have a job, it doesn't matter what your health is, that this joy doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter your race, your gender, your age, your background, any of that stuff, that you can have supernatural joy. And today we're going to talk about how. In the book of Galatians, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. Still in the first service, a little cheat code if you're looking through the New Testament. Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Back there in the back, towards the back of the New Testament. uh, Galatians chapter 5, I'll start reading in verse 16. And for those of you who don't know what's happening here, maybe this is our first time in this series. What's going on is that this guy named Paul is writing a letter to some churches that he helped start. And what happened was these people placed their faith in Jesus Christ... And now they don't know how to live the Christian life. And so they're trying to figure it out on their own. And they started this relationship with Jesus by faith. And there's a segment of them that are saying, yeah, it's great that you started your relationship with Jesus by faith, but here's how the way you live it. It's all by works. It's all by the stuff that you do. You've got to keep these rules. You've got to have these disciplines. You've got to make sure you don't do these things. Make sure you do do these things. And that's how they try to live the Christian life. And guess what? They're not experiencing any joy. And there's another group of people in the church, and the way they do it is they say, well, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I'm forgiven, now I do whatever I want. And God forgives me, and they're not any happier than the people that are the rule mongers. And so what happens is Paul starts to speak to them, and if you were here the first week, you remember we talked about the fulfilled life. The fulfilled life is a filled life. The way you do it, it's not living by a whole bunch of rules, and it's not that you just do whatever you want to do. It's that you live a filled life, filled by the Spirit of God, where He's in control, and you do what He wants you to do, that He guides you, that He leads you, that you keep in step with Him, that you walk with Him, and you started by faith, and you continue by faith. And he talks about that in Galatians chapter 5, when he tells them about this joy. Verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so you don't do what you want. And we sense this, we feel this. Sometimes we want to do something and we don't do it. We don't want to do something and we do it. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. And he says, The acts of the sinful nature, the things we will naturally do, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, As I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I've told you in the first two parts, this passage is saturated with the Spirit. Seven times in ten verses we see the Spirit mentioned. The Spirit is foundational. The Spirit is key to everything that we talk about. You see that we're commanded to live by, to keep in step with, to be led by, to walk with. The Spirit. And the Spirit produces in verse 22. As we focus in on verses 22 and 23, the Spirit produces, has a fruit, a singular fruit, with these different aspects to it. Things like love. Things that people spend their whole life searching for. Love. Peace. Patience. And the ever-elusive joy, people have died seeking this and come up empty, this ever-elusive joy. So how can we obtain it? How can we have it? Well, first we have to discover the source. We must discover the source of real joy. Discovery is the key. And I don't know what it's like at your house, but I know at our house, we have four kids, uh, for those of you who don't know that. And we're constantly on search and discovery missions. You know, it's basically every time we leave the house, we've got, we, there's something that's stopping us from leaving the house. Shoes, I don't know why two shoes wouldn't always be together. What good is a shoe by itself? But somehow at our house, they're separated from one another, and so we have one shoe, and we've got to go look for another one. Our socks, why do socks never match? I don't know why this happens, but we're looking for toys, we're looking for blankets, we're looking for all kinds of stuff, and digging through crevices of couches, underneath beds, all, all over the place, on this search and discovery. And then we find it, it's like, yeah, all right, I got it! Where were we going? Like, you forget what was even happening at that point. And if you think about our lives, we live on a search and discovery mission. We're continually looking for, and we look in all kinds of different places, and we look to career and accomplishments, we look to relationships, we look to all kinds of experiences, pleasurable experiences, for joy. And for many of us, what's happened, even as believers in Jesus Christ, is we've gotten temporary glimpses of joy. But we don't have the real thing. We don't have that everlasting joy. We don't have this thing that's being produced by the Spirit of God in us. We've got moments, we've got even people that have had spiritual experiences. Some of you, you think about joy in your life, and it's happened when you've gone to a conference and you've had some encounter with God, or you've gone to a camp or a great church service and you feel stirred, you feel moved, but then you go home and the doctor calls, and it's not good news. Or then you lose your job, financial stress, a relationship falls apart, or you just get back in the routine. You get out of that experience and you get back in the daily grind and it just kind of seems dry and yeah, you're a Christian, but you don't have what James talks about in James chapter 1 and verse 2 when he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, (laughs) trials, no, I had joy, then there was a trial, what are you talking about, consider it joy in the midst of the trial, that doesn't make sense because James is talking about a joy that happens regardless of circumstances. It's the kind of joy that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1.8 when he says you can have and be filled with and inexpressible. That means there's no words for it. It's unexplainable and glorious joy. That's that's the kind of joy that seems impossible, especially in our world, especially when you think about your own circumstances. But that's the kind of joy that Paul's talking about in our passage today. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, he says it's a fruit. It's a result. It's something that's produced by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Then joy. And in order for us to understand this and experience this, we must first discover the source of where it comes from. And the source, if you have your Bibles, there's just a few words before, it's listed. It's the Spirit of God. It's God himself. That is the source of joy. And a lot of times when we talk about the Spirit of God, we we acknowledge, like on a doctrinal statement or in our beliefs, that the Spirit is God. But practically speaking, many of us, we act more like the Spirit is kind of like what stirs us. It's what gives us some kind of emotion. It makes us feel good, encourages us, convicts us. does something like that. But it's not really God. I mean, we don't act, I mean, we wouldn't say that, but we act that way. We function that way. But you've got to remember that the Spirit is permanent. He is from the beginning. He'll be there at the end. He's everlasting. He wasn't created. In fact, He created. And so He speaks. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He speaks at the beginning into creation. He's hovering over creation. He's there. He's always there. He's permanent. And he plays a role in your position. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has a specific role in your life. We're told in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 that if you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. In other words, when you do have Jesus Christ, when you cross that line of faith and place your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, now you receive the Spirit of God. And Ephesians tells us exactly what he does at that moment. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the good news about your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You're sealed at that moment. Your position is sealed before him by a permanent God, something that cannot change. The joy that the Bible's talking about is this. It's a permanent pleasure in our position in Christ. That's what real joy is. It's a permanent pleasure in our position in Christ in Christ. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on the things that happen around us, about jobs, about the economy, about economic downfalls, about tragedies and hurricanes and all that kind of stuff. It's not based on any of that stuff. It's not based on your marriage and how your marriage is doing. It's not based on your finances and how your portfolio looks. It's not based on any of that. It's, it's based on your position in Christ. And your position in Christ is permanent. So when you trust Christ as your Savior, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, I, and each one of us here has a different story for those of you who placed your faith in Jesus but it can be summarized different ways. You were lost, now you're found. So you can do it in three words. Lost, now, found. There's your story. Now it's different. Your position is different. You're no longer lost. You were blind, now you can see. You see the world differently. You see the scriptures differently. You see yourself differently because your position is different. You were a spiritual orphan. You were spiritually dead. Now you're made alive in Christ. According to John chapter 1, now you're, you're given the right to be called a child of God. You can directly go to your father. You have access to all of his resources. And he sets you apart for a good work. And the spirit begins to do a work in your life to make you more like Jesus. And he uses those circumstances. but Those circumstances, while you can enjoy them, were never meant to be the source of your joy. Because they're temporary. Our problem is that many of us, we make them the source of our joy. And so if I asked you before I started preaching this message at all, if I just said to people, hey, I have a little handout here, and on it there's one question, and it says, what would need to happen in your life today for you to have great joy? Many of you would write down, I need to get married, I need to have children, I need to get a job, I need to have my marriage work, you know, I need to, whatever the circumstances are, if someone gave me a million dollars, I'd have great joy, whatever it is. Here's the problem. Then you're saying, in order for you to have joy, everything in your life has to be okay. So everything, for you to be okay, everything has to be okay. That's not a healthy place to be. For multiple reasons. One, because you live in this world. In case you haven't noticed, it's messed up. Two, as soon as that thing changes, your financial outlook, your relationship, whatever it is, your joy is gone. And what we're talking about is a permanent pleasure. And is based on your position in christ which cannot change you've been forgiven you've been redeemed that cannot change and you're sealed by the holy spirit the everlasting god who doesn't lie he can't not keep his promises he has to do these things that's who he is it's an essence of his character it's permanent and you take your joy in that he's the source and we see throughout the scriptures we're warned about placing our faith placing our source of joy in circumstances In fact, that passage that I read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, I didn't read you the whole passage, it's interesting, it says, though you've not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him, now you believe in him, and that's how you're filled, because he's the source, and that's how you're filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And it's real interesting when you know the circumstances of 1 Peter, because what's happening in 1 Peter is that he's writing to Christians that are under persecution, so think about their circumstances. There's an emperor, his name is Nero. And if you know much about history, there are many people that admire Nero and his leadership. Christians don't. Because what he did with Christians is he lied about them. Uh, whenever he did something bad, he would blame it on the Christians. They were kind of the scapegoat. It was the new religion. And so what he did one time, he burned basically the city down, except for his house and one of his buddy's houses. <laughs> it's kind of hard to figure out who did it, right? And then he blames it on the Christians. And so they think that the Christians are arsonists, that they're terrorists of some sort. And then not only that, but he spreads a rumor that Christians are cannibals because they eat Christ's flesh and his blood, because they observe the Lord's Supper. They must be cannibals. And he said that they were incestuous because they say things like, I love you, brother, love you, sister. (laughs) They were Baptists back in the early day too, so love you, brother. And so they think at that moment that people, their thought process of Christians is they're incestuous, cannibal arsonists. And so that's why they would watch things like when he would feed animals publicly, wild animals, Christians, for entertainment for people. That's why they watched it. Because they're terrible people. And that's why it was okay and acceptable when he would burn Christians out in his garden to light his garden so he could see it at night. And he would martyr Christians. And so as Christians, you weren't in a good situation underneath this emperor. Those are your circumstances. And it's in those circumstances that Peter says you can have an unexplainable and inexpressible joy. That's not based on circumstances. Jesus tells his followers the same thing, only not in bad circumstances and good in Luke chapter 10, what happens is he sent them out two by two, 72 of them all together. And he sent them out to cities that he's going to go and minister to. He sent them ahead to heal, to cast out demons. And then they come back and they give a report. Look what they say in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This is amazing. All the power we have. And look at the success we had. We accomplished the task you gave us to do. And so their joys in their success it's not wrong to enjoy your success, but it can't be the source. Because Jesus then tells them, you're going to do greater things than these. But, verse 20, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven and your position. I've done something permanent. Your circumstances are going to change. It's not always going to go well for you. Just look at the 12. There's a time where they can't cast out demons and then they get in an argument with people and it gets ugly. But their position didn't change. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, neither is yours. And He is your source. The Spirit of God that sealed you is the source of your joy. But you don't just need to know the source. You need to experience the satisfaction of real joy. It's not just about knowing the source. It's about experiencing the satisfaction of real joy. Because there are many people that will hear my words right now that know the source. You can write down the definition, but are you experiencing this joy? That's the real question for us. The point of studying the fruit of the spirit is not so that we can memorize these things and recite these things and know all this information, but does it change our lives supernaturally? Are our lives changed? See, the problem is when we base all of our joy and all of that stuff on circumstances, we're trying to use something external to create an internal reality. It'll never happen. You can have temporary highs, but external stuff will not change an internal reality. It's got to be the spirit of God. How does that happen? How does one actually experience satisfaction first of all you got to realize it's not just about information and we're talking about fruit but the fruit of the spirit is love joy and what do you do with fruit you eat it you enjoy it you consume it it's not meant to be just looked at it's meant to be consumed it's like what many of us do it would be almost as if we went down to barnes and noble and bought a cookbook and sat there and read the ingredients closed it up oh that was satisfying (laughs) i didn't do anything I mean, if I read to you about cheese and rice and peppers and steak and all those things, it might make you hungry, but it doesn't satisfy the hunger. And sometimes that's what we do with the Bible. We read stuff about God almost like just so that we can answer for a quiz, like in the right situation, community group, Bible study, at church. Somebody might say, and we're going to show what we know, but are we experiencing those things? See, that's the key. You've got to be able to experience the satisfaction. That's why the the Bible says you taste and see that the Lord is good. You experience him. And so experiencing real joy, how does that happen? And we know that it's not just knowing the source because there's so many Christians that don't experience this. In fact, you go through the scriptures and you see all kinds of different people that don't experience this. So there's some people that have joy and they're so so happy all the time, you think it's fake. Like you just want to smack those people, right? We're not talking about that. And we're not talking about people that are kind of always down either. You You know, the Debbie Downer Christians, it's like it doesn't matter what good could happen. They could everything they pray about happens, and then they're just like life is hard, and it's heavy, and it's tough. And they could have something amazing happen. Like they come in and tell you, "I got healed of blurred vision, but I just bought these glasses, and I don't get to wear them." It's like they're just down about everything. That's not what I'm talking. I'm not talking about the extremes. I'm just talking about I'm talking about ordinary people like us, or even people with incredible faith and they lack this joy. Why? You see people like David, read Psalm 31, read Psalm 51. You see Jeremiah, read the whole book. (laughs) You see Elijah, probably the most classic example. Elijah is a man who loves God, but he's just human like us. The scripture even tells us that in James. He's just a human just like us, but he prays, and he sees supernatural stuff happen. He prays, and it stops raining. Then he prays again later, and it rains. (laughs) Pretty amazing stuff, right? God supernaturally provided for him. Some of you know that God's provided for you in amazing ways. God supernaturally provides meals for him for a whole year with a raven delivering the food. (laughs) If you didn't get it, Elijah, here it is. It's pretty obvious. There's a situation where, where he's living with this widow and she's providing these meals and God's supernaturally providing over and over. And then he has an encounter, if you want to read about him, a great spot to jump in, is 1 Kings chapter 18, he has this showdown with 450 prophets, talk about success in his life, He, he confronts 450 false prophets, and starts talking smack to them about how their God is not very strong, and he can't do anything, and he's not real, and he mocks them to their face, and their God fails, then he prays to his God, the one true God, and fire comes down from heaven, and revival breaks out, and people start saying, the Lord, he is God, The very next chapter, verse nineteen, or chapter nineteen, you can read in verse four, he prays that he would die. Right after this incredible victory, he then is ready to die. He doesn't like his circumstances, he doesn't even like himself. What happened? It's not supposed to be based on your circumstances, and he's focused on circumstances, and that's what's robbing him of his joy. What's robbing you? What's the obstacle? What's the hindrance in your life that stops you from experiencing this supernatural joy? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this isn't impossible for you. But if you know Christ as your Savior, why aren't you experiencing this supernatural joy? You've got the Spirit, right? We all receive the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. So if you're a Christian, then why don't you experience this? What is it that's hindering you? What is it that's stopping you? And if you say, if I just, this thing would happen in my marriage, if this would happen with my finances, no, you're missing the point. Let me ask a better question. What's stopping you from experiencing God? If he's the source, then he's the one we go to to experience this. What's hindering you from encountering God? What's hindering you from experiencing him on a regular basis? So you'd have a permanent pleasure in your position in Christ. What's distracting you from the gospel? What's stopping you from remembering the truth that you know that it actually changed your life? And for some of you, it might be anger. For some of you, it might be pride. For some of you, it might be jealousy. For some of you, it might be stuff. It might be the circumstances. It might be materialism. It could be sin. It could be all kinds of stuff. What is it for you? I know what it is for me. Can I tell you what it is for me? It's worry. Anxiety. Sometimes, the last couple years at least, that's been my thing. What will happen is I'll get so anxious sometimes, I think I'm going crazy. And I'm not kidding around. That can sound funny, but I'm serious. And I was telling my community group last week, We were just talking, uh, our youth pastor preached, and we were talking through the message as a group, and they were asking me some specific questions, and I was telling them how the most difficult time of my week sometimes is those few moments right before I step up here to preach. And it's just a a few short steps, and and I told them, what oftentimes happens is I'll start thinking I'll doubt my position in Christ, I'll get insecure, I'll start thinking about past sin, I'll I'll have all kinds of stuff, doubts, all, all kinds of stuff starts coming through my mind. But then God will speak to me, not every time, but oftentimes, he says the same promise every time. And you know what? He's never promised me, if you just get up there and preach this message, 20 people will trust Christ. He's never said that to me, not to date. He's never said, if you'll say these things, and there's a Christian that's stuck in their journey, and this will help them to get over that hump. Or there's a marriage that's fallen apart, and if you just say this phrase, then he's never told me anything like that. But you know what he's told me repeatedly? Sometimes it's when Pastor Jad will say something. Sometimes it's when we're singing a song. Sometimes it's just praying. He'll remind me, I saved you. I saved you. You wouldn't even be standing here if I didn't save you. And I think about that for some of you in different circumstances. Maybe with your kids, try to rein the kids in, and you just feel like you're such a terrible parent, right? Does he ever whisper to you, I saved you? I got this. Or you're going into a big presentation at work, I saved you. A job interview or an exam. Does God ever just remind you and whisper to you what I saved you? Tells you about your position? What is it that distracts you from that? What is it that stops you from remembering that fundamental truth that where your permanent pleasure can be found? And for me, it's anxiety, it's worry. And I'll give you a little bigger picture of what happens in my life is that I I want something to happen, and I've given my life for something to happen that I have no control over. Some of you, you have the same circumstances. I understand that. I want to see the city change. When we talk about that as a church, we really mean that. We'd like to see God do something in our city that's never been done before. Our interest is not just having another church or everybody can kind of come and it's a little club for them. We don't we have any interest in that. We want to see the city transformed by Jesus Christ. We want to see this place redeemed. We believe that God could make really a city, be a city on a hill. And so we give our lives for that. But you know what? We can't control that. I can't save anybody there's no performance that we can put on that would make this happen there's nothing that we can do and so we trust God and we beg God to do stuff and we try to be faithful but there are things we can control and so what I do is then I I get really controlling about things I can control like my own life and so if I can do if I'll do all the right stuff then maybe he'll bless me with the things I can't control and so then I try to do the right stuff and do it right and do it really well and then you know what I screw up And so I do it in different ways. Sometimes it's silly stuff. I've told you stories about that where I'll say something dumb to some clerk or somebody or or sometimes I'll lose my temper in the car. Sometimes it's more serious stuff. I'll totally blow my testimony, get angry, pride. All kinds of different stuff happens. But I'm messed up and I mess up. Then here's what I do. I preach a gospel of grace to you. And then I go back and I try to compensate for the thing I messed up with by doing twice as good or undoing that and then trying to do more good stuff so that God will bless me as if God's blessing will then be based on my performance. So what's happened is I've forgotten the gospel. I could present it to you, but I'm not living by it. And what happens, what what is that for you? Maybe it's not anxiety for you. Maybe it's fear or anger or money or whatever it is. You fill in the blank. But you've got to identify the thing that's stopping you from experiencing God. That's what it is for me. And what happens for me is that I stop living the stuff that I know to be true, and I forget the gospel, the very thing that He reminds me of, because it's the most important thing. I saved you. You take pleasure, permanent pleasure. And your position in Christ, nothing can change that. It doesn't matter what happens, it doesn't matter circumstances, it doesn't matter outcomes, it doesn't matter all these things, because you take joy in me. And so what you need to do is you need to meet with Him. The ultimate example of this is Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I don't know what your circumstances are, but I promise you they're not that bad. The weight of all the sin of the world on your shoulders, the wrath of God about to come upon you to be forsaken by your father, none of us will ever experience that. And how did he do it? For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and why? And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's because joy is found in the presence of God. He kept in mind that he would then sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the joy, that's where it comes from. You see it throughout the scriptures. In Psalm 16 and verse 11, the psalmist tells us that joy is found in God's presence. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And his presence in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit of God. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, Paul says it this way. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him by faith. You start with faith. You continue with faith so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit working in you. It's the spirit that's talked about in our passage verse 16 that you live by. Verse 18 that you're led by. Verse 25 that you keep in step with. And verse 22 that produces a fruit in you. You can't produce it. Because it's an internal change. You can't use external stuff. What you do is you meet with the one that's the source. And so what stops you from meeting with him? And what he does is he purges away the stuff that doesn't look like his son Jesus. He purges away the stuff that's a hindrance. You cast off, you throw off all the stuff that hinders it, so easily entangles you. And he starts purging that stuff away. Sometimes it looks like good stuff, but you've got it in the wrong place. And you're trying to use it as your source of joy. And you'll never find joy there. That joy is found in him. And it is possible, supernaturally possible, by the power of the Holy Spirit for those who know Jesus Christ. And so the answer is you meet with him. You've got to get in his word. How does the spirit guide you when he leads you? He uses his promises. And so you need to know his promises. What does he say to be true about his sovereignty? What does he say to be true about his steps? What does he say to be true about his desire for your life? He tells us right here, and it should dictate our decisions, so we walk by faith by doing that. We've got to meet with him. It's one of the reasons why we have groups at our church. So that we can have other people that are also filled with the Holy Spirit of God, speaking into one another's lives, speaking truth to one another and directing each other on a path that they can walk in. So you do it through meeting with other people. You do it through having corporate worship like this. You do it through just sitting alone with God and letting him speak into your life. He's the source of joy. So don't go seeking other stuff. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. He's not trying to hide on you. You draw near to him, he will draw near to you. You've got to go after him, seek him. He wants you. And that's when you experience the satisfaction of real joy. Not the gift, not the forgiveness, not that you're no longer guilty, but Him. That's what He gives you. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37.4. Have you ever thought to yourself that then the desires of your heart will become Him and He will give you Himself? And then your joy will be complete. Like John writes us in 1 John, I write these things that your joy may be complete. What are the things about Jesus Christ? How do you get inexpressible and glorious joy? By loving him, the one you haven't even seen. Does it make sense? No. It's supernatural. And it's satisfying. And there will be people all around the world that are seeking it and will die trying to obtain it. And that's why many people will think it's impossible. It's also why there's a significance to this joy. There's a source There's satisfaction, and there's also a significance to it. And you can't miss the significance. Remember, this is fruit, and fruit was meant to be consumed. And then you think about the world that we live in, we've got people that are hungry for this kind of joy. They're doing all kinds of things to try and find this kind of joy. It's why millions of people tuned in to see Nick Walinda. They want to know if the impossible is possible. And they want to know, and God's plan is that he would work through your lives whether it's possible to actually have this kind of joy. And so they see it in you if you experience this. The problem is, they see so many Christians look exactly like them. They're just kind of more moral, or, or they go to church on Sunday, and there's no real transformation, there's no real change. So, well, that's not appealing. Well, what they're looking for and what's so significant about this joy is that if you can experience this kind of supernatural joy, the display it puts on for other people that are hungry for this and then you know the source and you can give them the source and they can experience it and it doesn't take anything away from you. Isn't that the amazing thing about Christianity? No matter how much you share Jesus, you still have more than you need. Amen. And there are people out there that are hungry for this. And that's why so many people are looking around. They want to know, is the impossible possible? And it is. And they can experience this too. They're going to see it through you. Nick Willenda, when he was interviewed after he did the tightrope walk, he was asked questions about this thing, and one of the things he said was that the most difficult step was the first step. And that 1,800-foot journey, the six football fields that he would walk across Niagara Falls, he said the most difficult step was the first one, reminding himself why he was doing this and what was happening here. And The same thing is true for us when we walk by faith. The most difficult step is the first step. What would be the first step for you to experience this kind of joy? For some of you, you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step of faith. If you haven't taken that step, you can't experience this kind of joy. You need to come to the place where you acknowledge your sin before Jesus, and he forgives you of your sin because you received Jesus to be your Savior. But many of you, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. You don't experience this joy. You know the source, but you don't experience this joy. So what's the first step for you? It might mean repenting. It might mean turning from the things you're trying to find your joy in and turning to him. And that's where God finds his joy. In Luke chapter 15, when one sinner repents, God takes joy in that. All of heaven rejoices in that. And so what you might need to do is you might need to turn from whatever it is that you're finding your joy in to him. And that might be a good thing. It might mean turning from your success, turning from your circumstance, turning from your merit, turning from whatever it is and turning to him, the real source of joy. For those of you, you might be like me. You know the answer. You know the source. But there's something that's robbing you of your joy. There's something that's been stealing it from you. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's some circumstance. Maybe it's your sin. You need to acknowledge that and cast that off and go to him. That's what you need. What's your step? The hardest step was the first step for Nick. What's your step? The first step for you experiencing supernatural joy. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, we are so grateful that you are a God that wants us to experience you, that you're not far off, that you're not hidden, that you want us to enjoy life, you want us to rejoice in you, to rejoice in the Lord, the source of our joy, we know that you are our strength, Father, and we turn to you. I pray for those who need to take a step of faith today, I pray for those who need to place their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, that today would be a day of salvation for them, that today they would trust Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Father, I pray for those that need to turn from whatever it is they're finding their joy in, whether it's work, whether it's uh, family, whatever it is that's not you. And Father, while they can enjoy those things, that they'd find their joy in you. And Father, I pray for those of us who need to turn from things that are robbing us of joy, fear, anger, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, Father, drugs, alcohol, Things that are distracting us from the truth, the gospel, the truth that you love us, that you saved us, that you've redeemed us, that there's no condemnation, that you've forgiven us, and that you've given us a position before you that cannot change, that we'd find permanent pleasure in that, Father. And Father, I pray that would be true for everyone that leaves here today. I pray that none would be able to leave without experiencing your joy. And when we start to get distracted in our journey, that you'd bring us back to the truth of what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen.